Welcome to Thinking Like a Lawyer, with your hosts, Ellie Mistal and Joe Patrice, talking about legal news and pop culture, all while thinking like a lawyer, here on Legal Talk Network. Welcome to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law. With me is Catherine Rubino, also of Above the Law, joining us because Ellie Mistal is out again this week. How are you today? I'm doing pretty good. I'm getting used to being a part of the Thinking Like a Lawyer cast here. Yeah, you're kind of officially the uh, villain. Are we whispering now? We should do this whole episode as an ASMR or whatever. Is that AS? Is that what is that? I don't even know what it is. Yeah. Yeah, do that. Yeah, no. Let's not do I any have of the that. nails for it. Yeah, no. Let's do none of this. <laughs> it's uh, a little creepy. You remember that like Super Bowl commercial they had yeah. about that was like with the beer. Zoe uh Kravitz and she was all like Yeah. It's really I, creepy. Yeah. It's not something I really want to watch like with my like mom during a football game either. Right. Yeah, but it's a little weird. Yeah. But we could become the first ever legal podcast that goes all the way through <laughs> whispering and clinking bottles. That'd be something, let me tell you. Yeah, no, let's do none. No, of, you don't like yeah, it? Yeah, okay. put an end to it. Okay. Okay, so we've accomplished what we're not going to do today. What are we going to talk about today? I thought we'd go through some hot topics. Okay, this is uh, becoming our go-to. Uh, for those of you who think that this is just kind of a lazy device that Catherine and I have for whenever Ellie emergency disappears and she has is called in to be the guest host it then, is. then you're totally right Yay. that is absolutely <laughs> what this is and it's and so you get to be regaled by our discussing the hot legal topics that we've been covering over the last few uh, days well one of the biggest hot legal topics uh, of the last couple days weeks uh is greg craig former scadden counsel was found not guilty mm -hmm. um he had been prosecuted as part of the Mueller probe for lying to investigators about whether or not he was a lobbyist right uh, so he he's all good everything's fine and dandy what, what's going on there so the issue with Greg Craig, for those who weren't following this throughout is much like a lot of washington lawyers Greg Craig made his career by being in government and then immediately turning around and being in the private sector and doing a thing that you would consider lobbying and common sense would consider lobbying, but the law would not consider lobbying because then they wouldn't be allowed to do it. We have series of regulations that prevent people from lobbying, in particular when they're lobbying on behalf of foreign governments. In this instance... Skadden was hired to produce a report that told the then pro-Russia government of Ukraine that it was okay that they were jailing innocent, pe you know, Yikes. innocent people. Yeah, uh, and political, yeah, opponents. political prisoners. Yeah. yeah. So he puts together this, which is you know designed for the purpose of convincing people that Ukraine's not you know run terribly. <laughs> So that would be, one would say, lobbying on behalf of the Ukraine. However, if you don't do certain things, then you don't count as a lobbyist and you don't have to register as a foreign lobbyist. And Craig's actions, once the everything came out, the jury determined that Craig may well have lied to investigators that about being a foreign agent, but 
those lies, to the extent they happened, happened before the statute of limitations <laughs> period Ow. here. And so therefore, after the October 3rd, whatever year date that they had to work with, he did nothing to mislead anyone as far as what he was doing. And so, so he that's factually is not what happens. But yes. I know you've, you've taken a pretty bold stance that it says something bad about the way this system is set up. Yeah. I mean, the way in which the way in which we have people who are lobbyists in all but name as an effort to circumvent any regulation of the activities they do is is a bad thing. Uh, I understand the need to some extent for a revolving door because that's how people are willing to work in the government, right? Uh, yeah, it, for uh, a certain extent, you know. Yeah, obviously there are abuses to it. There's mm-hmm. some value. Obviously, there's expertise that can be brought up and so on. But on the other hand. It leads to some industry capture, which is problematic. Point is, there's some degree of a revolving door, no matter what you do, and there are some perks to it. That said, the way in which people can avoid the regulation is really troubling. I wrote an article about a relatively famous political figure that if I named, you would know. I put in this article that he was working with a lobbying shop because he was on the letterhead of a lobbying shop that they send around when they try to say to clients, hey, look, we have this lobbyist. And I used the small L word, lobbyist. And I got an immediate email from his people saying that it's imperative that we not call him a lobbyist. And I was like, right, because you're not legally able to be a lobbyist. (laughs) But what you do is lobby people. So you're a person who lobbies people who is not a lobbyist. Yeah, yeah. And that that's a real problem. I, I think transparency is a good antiseptic. If people were required to call themselves lobbyists, even if it's a little sketchy, we at least could see that that's what they were doing. But right now we have created a world in which we have real penalties for people improperly lying, you know, improperly lobbying and not registering. But we've written them in such a way to allow people to actually do it uh, in the dark. And that's that's bad. Yeah, that's worse. Yeah. And so that was the Greg Craig story. Um, Obviously, one of Craig's associates did plead guilty in this case, but Craig himself uh, has managed to avoid anything, which he should have all along, because what people don't necessarily remember about the procedural posture of all this is that this grew out of the Mueller report because Manafort was the go-between to hire between the Ukrainian government and Mm -hmm and Craig, and this was much like a lot of Mueller spinoff investigations that weren't directly tied to what he was working on. It went to the SDNY, and the SDNY's U.S. Attorney's Office looked at it and went, yeah, there's nothing here. And it was then picked up by Maine Justice in, I mean, we're not going to say that it was a deliberately political attempt to try and make sure that there was a Democrat who got caught up in Mueller stuff. But it was a deliberately political <laughs> attempt to make sure a Democrat got caught up in Mueller stuff, and it backfired on them. So next topic, uh, we're post-Labor Day. That means everyone is now back to school. Law schools are all in session. Um, I'm not wearing white, so. Congratulations, yeah. nor should you be. Um, so we're back to school. Everyone's back to law school. Um, and I know you got a lot of uh, play skewering advice columnists who have some advice for law school oh, yeah. students. Remember that? But I what do. what is your actual advice for – well, but let's talk about the situation first. Then mm. we can actually get into our real-life advice for law school students. Sure. An advice columnist answered a very, you know – 
as one might expect. Uh, I'm totally cluster. freaking out about law school. I'm freaking out about law school. It's so much work. Everyone told me it was so much work, but I'm really freaking out in week one. And I, I gotta say, like, if you're freaking out in week one, one of two things is a problem, and and both of them are problems. That <laughs> maybe maybe you should consider making a career changeover. One is that you are so tightly wound and neurotic that this job is going to cause you some real problems if you don't start to get some perspective on it. Or two, you went to some college that didn't prepare you for the concept of a workload, at which point this profession may be a problem for you unless you get caught <laughs> well, up. I mean, I'm not an, I don't think that's entirely fair. I, I mean, I think that the beginning of law school is often, you know, this was a 1L, oftentimes law professors feel um, the need to deliberately scare new law stu- school students, right? They, you know, it's the whole paper chase. Look to yeah. one side, look to your left, look to your right, right? You know, they're they're trying to make it seem like being a lawyer is much harder than it is. Um, I think there's a vested interest for a lot of the people who have achieved a certain level of acclaim in the profession to make it harder, make it seem like it's a what they have done is worthy of the accolades they've received. Um, and so they want to seem like, make it seem like it's hard. Law school's very, I mean, and, and it's not to say that it isn't hard or that it, you know, learning to read a case is yeah, different. You sure. know, it's certainly something that t- I, I can remember, you know, first week of law school being shocked at how long it took me to read a case. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like, I'm a relatively fast reader and I was like, I can't even imagine how I couldn't get through these words quicker than this. Mm. And I mean, obviously that changed, you know, over the three years and certainly in my legal career, but that's a real thing that's not like, oh, you went to a shitty college and or, you know, you you majored in ceramics, therefore you're not truly prepared to be a lawyer. Yeah, maybe it was obviously there were they were writing a letter for the audience of getting into an advice column. So maybe it was a little uh, drenched in hyperbole. But the breathless freaking out struck me as though that was probably not not where they wanted to be, you know, if if they're going to law school. But alas. Hmm. So speaking of law schools, a (laughs) notorious law school recently cut their tuition by something like over 20%. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it was Cooley, is that right? Yeah, so... That one, um, one of these days, I'm gonna, we're gonna have to talk about one of your articles. But for now, I guess <laughs> I, I'm still on the hot seat. So, the Thomas M. Cooley Law School, which is run now, is affiliated now with Western Michigan University, though it remains a private school, despite the fact that Western Michigan is a public school. So, you know, whatever. Cooley has a reputation. It's where Michael Cohen went to went to law school. Ironically, back when he went, it wasn't as dismally, you know, considered as it is today. A series of moves happened in the intervening years where they got very desperate about, you know, like a lot of law schools did about churning churning some money mm-hmm. and their standards lowered uh, and they made some questionable decisions and so they're not considered one of the best law schools out there. They are not. They have, however, despite being not a very good law school, they were stuck true to their commitment of charging students as though they were a very good law school. (laughs) Uh, And what they've done recently is reduce their tuition by some 21%. And angry Cooley grads wrote us complaining that we weren't appropriately covering this heroic act, and we don't 
think it's all that when when you overcharge the way that you do, you don't really get you know brownie points for lowering tuition down to twenty you know by twenty one percent. Indeed, doing so brought them back to where they were, I believe, something like six years ago or something like that. So it's not <laughs> it's not really a huge deal. It's still very expensive, especially considering the dismal bar passage rate that they have. They have a really bad employment score for people who one of the ways in which we measure employment and law coming out of law school is whether or not the individual who graduates after a certain number of months is employed in a full-time long-term job which requires a JD degree. And if we looked at that, they have a pretty pretty bad run. A lot of law schools then juice this by something called JD advantage, which is where they say, well this person doesn't have a legal job, but the fact that they have a law degree helps. meant helped them that they were hired over other qualified candidates because people were impressed by the law degree, which is probably not true, but it's a way in which they can juice their numbers. And even juicing those numbers, they don't come out very well. I'm not sure that's just juicing. There, there are people who attend law schools who uh, are doing it for the quote-unquote flexibility of a legal degree, right? So, sure, but that's not what 30% sure. of people at this school are doing or whatever the number is. I believe the biggest on-record employer of Cooley Law School grads out of the last couple of years has been Cooley Law School, giving them small jobs part-time to make it look like they've got jobs. It's not, not the best. I, I think that for a while that was certainly true. I, I guess I shouldn't say... For sure, that's what's still going on, but that is always something to consider when you're looking at employment numbers is who's doing the employing mm -hmm. because many law sure, schools – Sure, and I think now they that. actually count those separately yeah. as part of the uh, the NALP statistics. They keep those kind of cordoned off so you can see what it is. And sometimes there are good jobs that are just happen to be funded. A lot of pro bono or mm, – uh, yes. Not pro bono, you know, but um, public interest jobs are funded that way because, you know, it's hard to get funding for public interest work sometimes. Mm -hmm. But again, not not necessarily what was going on at, at all the law schools. <laughs> okay, so uh, Neil Gorsuch is right, has written a book, a, a third book actually. He's, oh. he's, he's written a bunch of them. Um, the latest one is actually styled as a memoir. And it's called uh, A Republic, If You Can Keep It. Oh. Yeah. I actually wrote about this a little bit. And um, the thing that I thought was interesting is he, uh, you know, Neil Gorsuch clerked for uh, Byron White, mm -hmm. um, Justice Byron White, uh, which... Which is the name of my uh, fantasy football team in the Legal Talk Network Fantasy Football League. That's really good. And, and that's actually kind of part of it, yeah. right? Because his nickname was Wizard White. Mm -hmm. He was a football star back in the day, mm -hmm. back in his day, um, who went on to law school and to have a very formidable legal career, became a justice on the Supreme Court, and Neil Gorsuch clerked for him. And one of the, one of the stories kind of in there is about how, uh, you know, uh, Justice White would tell him, you know, history will forget us all, and that's, quote, exactly as it should be. And how, you know, Gorsuch is like, yeah, I guess that that's cool. And, and now, now how he, when he goes through the Supreme Court and he sees visitors stopping at Justice White's uh, portrait and they don't know who he is. Right. <laughs> it's just part of the whole history forgets, which is kind of remarkable. Can you even imagine right now a pro athlete who is good at what they do turning around and being a, a Supreme Court justice? Sure. 
Well, it would be notable, right? Like yeah. everyone would still know who that person was. Would, oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah in terms um, of in terms of you know he's not remembered anymore. Yeah, I mean, White played in an era where the NFL wasn't what the NFL is sure, today. Sure, that's fair. I think. I mean, it, it, probably a better corollary is the career of Alan Page, who was on the Minnesota Supreme Court, who mm-hmm. people absolutely remembered as a football player too. Sure. Though I've heard from from people I know who knew him well that uh, he was very very annoyed when people wanted to talk about the football rather than his legal career. Sure, but and still. reportedly Justice White did not appreciate being called wizard <laughs> towards the end of his legal career. Um, but uh, <laughs> but one of the things I kind of point out too is that, you know, Merrick Garland's like, it's fine to be to be forgotten. Not Garland. I'm so- uh, oh, I'm sorry, yes. Yes, that. you said Merrick Garland yeah, because that's the weird. person who would sit in that and seat. And that's the exact point that I was trying to make. <laughs> My head got a little ahead of myself there, but it's going to be impossible to forget Neil Gorsuch. He will always be at the very least the answer to a trivia question because never before were the sort of machinations for a seat so on display as they were when, you know, they refused to even give Garland a a hearing. Yeah, it's got like a maybe an Abe Fortas for chief kind of thing. But that's about the only historical corollary I can really think of. And it's not quite a corollary, right? Because he still was on the court. Right, though he (laughs) left after that. But yeah, Yeah. I understood. So did you write anything? Uh, you have your computer in front of you. Uh, mine is not available because it's recording the podcast. So uh, why don't well, you talk about something? Well, I mean, I, I was. Okay, good. <laughs> That's literally what I did. Um, so apparently there's news to celebrate in the legal academia oh. because uh, MBE scores are up. That's okay. Multi-state, multi-state bar exam, I think 44 um, jurisdictions use um, some form of the MBE as part of the overall exam score. So this doesn't tell us that overall passage rates are up, right? Because it takes forever for people to, for the various state bar organizations to grade the bar exam. So we don't know, no state has as of yet released their passage rates for the July 2019 sitting of the bar exam. But the MBE scores we know are up. It's actually 1.6, I think, points up over last year's mark. So we all we expect better passage rates as a result. Um, I think the majority of the jurisdictions that use the MBE use it for at least 50% of their overall grade. So that seems like it's good. Yeah. And listen, it's good news. And if you were took the bar exam and you're worried, oh my gosh, I'm freaking out. Did I pass? This is a good sign. Yeah. No. It, but. Yeah. But. You know, and this kind of a, a 1.6 point increase is a lot, but it still doesn't get us back to where we were in 2017. <laughs> the problem is really that in 2018, there was a giant decrease. Oh. Uh, it was the, like a 34-year low, and we haven't quite gotten back up to where we were before that dip. So it's uh, hard to say whether or not these are sort of lasting trends that will change the legal industry, but uh, I guess I guess it's good news. And, and for those who don't remember, the MBE is the multiple choice um, yeah. part of the exam, which... Which, as you said, takes, is usually around half of the, the whole exam's right. score. So. Right. So, Joe. Yes. Somewhat of a mini scandal in big law uh, broke today, and I think you wrote about oh. it. A law firm has banned one of their clients from their firm cafeteria. Yes. Uh, as it turns out, while Gotchel had been allowing investment bankers from 
uh, one of their clients, which also has an office in the same building, to use their cafeteria. Which, which is, is not... Ve- it's a very nice gesture. Yeah. It is... You know, a little weird in that uh, one person quoted in the New York Post's coverage of this said, it's weird to have people from outside the firm in an area of unescorted within an area of the firm where they could get confidential information. But honestly, people go in and out of those cafeterias, clients who are there for the day, opposing counsel who are there for deposition. if it people happens. if people yeah. were talking about confidential stuff in that cafeteria, that's a bigger problem. So I don't think it was weird that they were uh, allowing folks to be in there. But the bank and its longtime attorneys are in the middle of a bit of a legal tiff <laughs> owing to apparently some former bankers at the place were not paid correctly uh, potentially on advice from Weil Gotchel. And it is something that no one understood until four years later after those people had been fired and they sued to get their deferred comp back. Uh. It came up in a meeting at Weil that they discovered, according to what's alleged, that Weil attorneys discovered that they'd actually screwed everything up the first time four years ago. And allegedly they responded to this by saying, let's not tell anybody this happened. (laughs) Um, that pretty much every legal problem goes away if you ignore it long enough, right? Right. That's so what, I think that, so that was on the bar exam, right? That's what's that's what's being <laughs> alleged, and the bank is annoyed about this, as one might expect, because they very well could end up on the hook for this if this is true, and so they've made some threats about firing while and while then did you know the commensurate thing, which is well, you can't sit at our table anymore. <laughs> so. That sounds about right. Other big legal stories this week. There was an attorney who's a prostitute. Yes. Well, all attorneys are technically prostitutes, but in this <laughs> instance, I mean quite literally. Yeah, and I, so I read the story that you wrote about that, and um, initially I was like, oh, yeah, I guess, you know, that's a thing that happens. It was know. a very sex worker positive well, yeah, story. But, this but is a situation unlike, yeah, unlike some stories in the past where we've had people either in law school or lawyers turn into uh, turn workers, towards yeah. sex work that often those stories are in a narrative of they were forced to because of Can't bills or whatever. Payments and loans. In, in and this instance, the woman, Katie Sears in Iowa, had a very kind of sex positive attitude. She uh, works in a legal brothel, worked in a legal brothel in Nevada. She's been taking time off because she just had a kid. And she just said, it's fine and I can get paid for it and why not? I find it empowering and it's like, all right. Good for her, man. Cool. Uh, her husband was was cited in the article. He said he doesn't really think about it much and when well, he was asked yeah. why. Yeah. As it turns out, part of the reason I guess he doesn't think about it all that much is he was in the midst of, unbeknownst to all of us when we reported this story, but hours after the fact, <laughs> he's been in the midst of a long-running disciplinary complaint that resulted in his license being suspended indefinitely. So what'd he do? So there was a DUI. There was a DUI, <laughs> okay. which okay. is something that unfortunately happens a lot in the legal profession because mm-hmm. there are problem drinkers as well as more more actually diagnosed substance abuse problems in the mm-hmm. profession. He didn't fulfill his obligations under the sentence to go to some of the treatment he was supposed to do, which is bad. Sure. He, in addition to being married to Katie, he apparently still hangs out with his ex-wife and uh, he... 
there was a thing where he got a hold of his ex-wife's gun, talked Ooh. about killing himself. Then she didn't want to give it to him, so he beat her allegedly. And it that, took a pretty dark turn there from then, being a, a yeah feel-good, sex-positive. Yeah. Then he, according to the Iowa Supreme Court's opinion, he ultimately uh, got picked up by the police when she called, uh, the ex-wife called, and he, or ex, I guess I shouldn't say ex-wife, I'm not positive if they were married or just ex, they're referring to it as ex, Fair. but I think, no, no, I think they were, anyway, mm-hmm. whatever, and the police noted that as part of his DUI set, uh, sentencing, he wasn't supposed to have access to firearms or anything like that, so Oof. all of that comes back, he's, you know, convicted of uh, of you know the assault here, uh, and these issues all in in addition to him getting pro- supervised release for all of these crimes directly, they're you know disciplinary issues, and so it went to a disciplinary committee who recommended this, and the Iowa suspended. Supreme Court, <laughs> Iowa Supreme Court agreed. He has lost his license indefinitely. He can't apply to get it back for another two years. So so. I'm gonna to try to lighten the mood here because that yeah. was fairly depressing. It 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 was. So I, I gotta I gotta I want to ask your advice about something. Okay. It's kind of a professionalism question. You, uh, you should ask me more professionalism questions. Uh, yes. uh, sure, sure. Oh uh, wait. Oh, so so th- this is not a visual medium, so they can't see your eyes roll. <laughs> Go on. Rolled so hard back into. The- Do like you a think- great white about to bite down. <laughs> yeah. Should you be using the phrase beautiful tits in an email? No. No, no work emails. Don't use beautiful tits. Yes. Uh, that is. That's, pro- a, that's a pretty bright line rule, I think. Yeah, I think that's, that's, that's pretty fair. But uh, this is a story about the uh, practice group of, of the Indiana State Bar sent out a, well, uh, yeah, if you're in a bar association, you know the I drill. Mean, People aren't doing that anymore, really, right? But okay. No, no. People send out the little Old monthly, the monthly. Hey, here's a little yeah, whatever. Sure. It's part of the community building. And he, this guy, sent out uh, some jokes about grocery stores, and among them was a joke about a um, woman with beautiful tits, apparently, and uh, that's problematic. The guy hours after the fact, said that it was wrong and that the joke actually would have worked without that language, and so that's what he should have said, which I feel kind of misses the point because the entire... Yeah, I, mean, I mean, the joke was, like, uh, something about, like, the wife... The guy walks up to a random woman in the store and says, can I talk to you for a second? She says, why? He says, because I've lost my wife somewhere in the store, and every time I talk to a woman with beautiful tits like yours, she shows up. Yeah, so it doesn't really matter. The beautiful tits is just kind of like the cherry on that racism su- or sexism Sunday. Huh? Yeah, right. Yeah. So he, yeah. yeah. So he he said, "Oh, I shouldn't have said that. I should have just said beautiful woman," which really underscores the yeah, yeah. D- doesn't really address. I shouldn't say underscores doesn't really address the underlying problem, which is the whole premise of the joke is sexist. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Objectifies uh-huh. women. Yeah. Uh, there's not really. Yeah. There's no, there's no. I mean, no one's saying don't be entertaining or funny and be lawyers. Right, <clears throat> right. The issue is that just wasn't particularly entertaining or on funny. top of all sure. of the other issues. Sure, that's also true. But, you know, I'm not saying, like, ban all humor from bar association listservs. Oh, no. And, and I'm afraid that's 
That's going to be the takeaway. That, that's the dumb takeaway. That's the dumb yeah. takeaway. But it is, in fact, I think, what a lot of people are going to take away from that. Yeah. It, one of the dumbest trends out there are these folks who think that, oh, that joke was offensive. Therefore, all jokes, I guess, people are going to find offensive. And it's that's not true. Good jokes don't have to be offensive. You can sure. You can actually make non-offensive jokes. And in certain settings, offensive jokes do work, right? Like, you could be a professional stand-up comic who's doing things with heavy doses of irony involved. But that, that's, that's not but that's a, a not, professional listserv. Yeah, that's yeah. not a professional listserv. Right, and if you are going to be funny on a, or try to be funny, let's be clear, on a professional listserv, then you should probably be pretty careful about the jokes that you make. Yeah. And I don't think that's that hard of a standard to mean. No, not at all. All right, well... I was going to talk a little bit about Judge Posner. Okay. Um, I know you you write about him quite a quite a bit. Sure. He retired quite suddenly, actually, uh, from from the Seventh Circuit, and when he retired, he started a foundation to do work on behalf of pro se clients, helping out pro se clients. Yeah, yep. which is awesome. But then he they recently just closed that foundation because there's too many pro se people, which seems like the opposite response that you might want to have. There's such a problem with pro se's. We have to start an organization to help them. Then you get so many prosés that you're like, fuck it, we're going to shut it all down. <laughs> shut yeah. it down, I'm going home, taking my ball, going home. So there, there are two issues potentially here, and they're both, one or the other is true, probably. <laughs> but let's just operate under the subject, like either one of these being true says something. On the one hand, it underscores the issue of how access to attorneys has gotten out of hand because of cost overruns. You know, obviously we know about the crisis of indigent clients, but they may have access to some pro bono help. There's now a situation, given how expensive attorneys are, a whole category of middle-class folks who can't afford lawyers and therefore are locked out of the system as well. And being pro se is having everything against you. You probably are confused by everything that's going on because the legal system tries to make it confusing, which is Judge Posner's underlying point. To that extent, it underscores how bad this problem's gotten that hundreds of people were reaching out to Judge Posner, who, mind you, for pro se litigants are not generally lawyers. These are people reaching out to a federal judge who's a superstar in our little world, but not <laughs> well known outside of that. So you've got to imagine if there were hundreds reaching out to him, there are thousands more who are facing these issues who didn't even know to try and reach right. out to him. And that's a concern that we should all take seriously about why, how the judicial system should adjust to deal with these folks and how law should adjust its whole industry landscape to do that. A flip side to this that was voiced by the executive director of the group was that in actuality, there were opportunities to service a lot of these clients, but that instead, many of the affiliations that the group set up with private practice lawyers to be on their, you know, on their list to help out, were really more interested in us having their name right next to Judge Posner's than Which, actually you know, doing yeah. the work. Yeah. Uh, and that many times he was calling people and pulling teeth and telling them, you need to... You really need to do We really need you to help it. this out, and they yeah. wouldn't do it. So that, if it's true, is also indicative of a broad-based problem because perhaps many of these pro se folks wouldn't need to be there if more attorneys felt that they could operate in a either pro bono or low bono setting where mm -hmm. they can sliding scale what they what they charge to help people out. 
Anyway. Anyway, that's been the week in legal news. Yeah, I think Pretty that's much. I think that's right. So we we've kind of when you're here, we kind of transform this. We've done different styles. We had, we did kind of the ESPN thing for a while. It, it's like it's like the Economist does their weekly yeah. roundup of stories yeah. when you're here. So I, I like that. Well, you know, if if I had more than maybe six minutes to think right. about what we were going to talk about, I could. But um, yeah, no, but I, <laughs> I like it. I like it. I think. I hope people appreciate that. Another thing that people could do, by the way, is you can write us at tips at com if you have questions that you'd like us to tackle here, because yeah, questions which for... we've done for the decision before when uh-huh. people are deciding whether to go to law school, but a mailbag episode is always something we would appreciate having because that would be a perfect instance <laughs> when we're scrambling at the last minute. Anyway. So send us your legal questions. Yeah. But we're not going to give legal advice. Right. No, not legal advice, but this would yeah. be more like... About the industry. Yeah, right. Or law schools. Sure. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So read about the law, <laughs> uh, subscribe to the podcast, review the podcast. That helps us out on the on the algorithms that uh, tell people how to find legal podcasts. I'm at Joseph Patrice on Twitter. She's at Catherine One on Ed Twitter. You should listen to the rest of the offerings of the Legal Talk Network. You should listen to the Jabot, which is Catherine's podcast that comes out periodically. And I think that's everything I usually say. Bye. Cool. Bye. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. You can also find us at AboveTheLaw.com, ATLRedline.com, iTunes, RSS, Twitter, and Facebook. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.